1 Samuel chapter 1 as it was read. And uh, you know there's an advantage to having someone else read the text. I should have pulled out my messages from Chronicles and just had you read the first nine chapters there, Brother, Brother Mark. But uh, thank you so much for the kind of warm welcome that we've received from First Baptist uh, to all the staff and others. It's made us feel so welcome to the members of the church, the kind remarks this morning after the message. I appreciate the goodness of God, appreciate what the Lord did in the morning service. And I ask that you pray for our family as we try to serve the Lord. If you was not here this morning, I am Brother Brian Treadway. My family, if y'all will stand up real quick. You little ones quit talking, stand up, amen. And uh, uh, my son on the end, Nathan, and my wife, Leanne, next to him. And uh, she's taller than she looks. These boys just won't quit growing. And Levi beside her, Hannah, many of y'all know her. She was here uh, in school for a year. And then uh, Abigail, Lydia, Anna, Rebecca's next in age. And then Isaiah's the baby. And just ask him, he is, amen. So thank to my family. I love my family. Best thing in the world outside of salvation is the family God's give me. And I do thank the Lord for them. If you were counting, we have nine children. And, and um, God's been good to us. I guess that's why me and Brother Wilkerson get along so well. And, uh, but I do appreciate the, your prayers, and I appreciate the support of this church. We do need that, and uh, several asked about our ministry. I am Vice President, International Outreach Director for Operation Go International. We uh, train and equip preachers and Christians all over the world in soul winning and church planning. Everything we do overseas, we do not charge anything and, and just try to be a help all over the world. And if you would pray for a couple things, I know this is a praying church. Number one, that the Lord, I stepped out by faith as a pastor, no support, no income, no money, and, and still living that way. And we've got some support, but not near enough. And uh, the way the ministry is, I've got to spend about half my year overseas in other countries, which means I'm not preaching in the States, which means there's no love offerings and other things to meet those needs. And this year alone, uh, by the time the year's out, I will have been in Mexico, Papua New Guinea, El Salvador, Dominican Republic, India, Bolivia, and uh, possibly one more. So we spend a lot of time overseas and ask that the Lord would just meet those needs and um, pray that God would provide our support that we need, open doors in preaching, just like he did this month. I was supposed to be in Papua New Guinea, and because of visas, had to delay that trip and had no meetings for this month because of that. And the Lord's opened doors. If you'd pray, I've got one more weekend, Memorial Day weekend to feel, and praying that God will open that up in a couple Wednesdays. But uh, appreciate the goodness of God. And then thank you, Brother Wayne and Miss Jean, for allowing my large family to stay in your home. And uh, it's been such a blessing. And uh, uh, just thank you for your hospitality and letting us raid your refrigerator and cabinets and coffee bar. And, and I don't know if they've got any food. Some of y'all may need to give them a love offering just to help replace everything my kids devoured. We walk in the house. They said they wouldn't be there when we got there, and they weren't. We walked in. Right there on the counter in the kitchen was a bag of snacks, and, and my kids automatically, I got that. That's mine. That one's mine. I call that, and um, I'm telling on them. But been good, and then thank you for the lunch today. It was a privilege to be able to eat, not with just with them, but Brother Mark Bushy and his family and uh, Brother uh, Rick Mitchell and his family. So thank you all so much. 1 Samuel chapter 1, I know we read verses 1 through 7, very familiar passage of scripture probably to many of us in here tonight. And not long ago, this is not a brand new message, but definitely a new message for me. And uh, I was, um, as a matter of fact, I was at our home church, First Baptist Church of Bridgeport, and uh, was there on a Wednesday night, I believe it was, and Brother Willette happened to be there, and Brother J.D. had asked him to preach. And Brother Willette was preaching out of this passage, completely different uh, message, but 
as he was preaching, the Lord just started working on my heart, and I started working on the message, and, and I want to just try to be a help to us and an encouragement to us tonight, because I understand how it is when we come to church and when we come to worship, and I want you to notice a couple things in the passage, just a means of introduction, and notice that the Bible said that this man, uh, uh, this man Elkanah and Penina and Hannah, they they, they worship God. Notice in verse number three, this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. They were following the law and following what they were supposed to do. And, and, uh, and they did that year after year. And, and the Bible said in verse seven, as he did so year by year. So here's a family that is doing their best to be right with God, serving God, loving God. And, and, and going up to worship and going up to sacrifice. But in the midst of that, I don't know if you noticed, the Bible said in verse number two that Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. In verse number six, the Bible said because of this, this, this issue, verse six, the Bible said that her adversary also provoked her sore. In verse number seven, the Bible said year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. And in verse number 10, the Bible said that she's worshiping God. If I can put it this way, she's in church service. And the Bible said in verse 10, she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. In verse number 15, Hannah tells the man of God that she has a sorrowful spirit because of what's going on in her life. And as I started marking those statements and started thinking about just issues I was facing that particular night, some problems that I had carried to church with me and thinking about being a pastor for 20-something years and knowing that many times when I preached to the congregation and before service, shaking hands and saying hello and how are you doing, brother, or how are you doing, sister, and the standard response is doing good, doing great, knowing good and well that there was issues in their life. Many times we come to church and we come to worship the Lord. We come to praise God. We come to magnify him. We come to the house of God to get help. And if I can put it this way, sometimes it's a battle to worship. I want to preach, if I can, for a few moments this evening on this thought, warring in worship. Or if you'd like another title, provoked in worship, using the word that God used there. And I want to pray, and then I'll give you my points, and we'll be done this evening. And I hope that by the end of the message that all of us will understand, though we may come here tonight or in the morning or Wednesday night or whenever we show up to worship God, and by the way, worship's not restricted to just when we come to church. I'm glad we can worship God on a daily basis. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I love you. And I'm so thankful for the privilege and opportunity I have to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, I'm not worthy of that honor. I'm not worthy of that privilege. And outside of your grace and your calling, I, I, I would have nothing. And I want to thank you for what you've done in my life. I need you tonight. I pray you illuminate my mind and my heart and help me to say everything that you want said in the way you want it said. And God, I pray that you anoint this service this evening. Thank you for the great singing already and the prayer time and already being touched in my heart. But God, would you help your people tonight? 
While their pastor's away, God, I want to be a blessing and a help, and, and I want the church, Lord, to be encouraged and strengthened, and I pray you use me in spite of me. Take your word, and Lord, just deal with us tonight, I pray. If there be anyone lost, may you save them, and those that are saved, may you strengthen our Christian life. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. I want you to notice some things this evening in this passage. Here is a couple, as I said, that they're coming to church, if I can use that term. They're coming to worship God. They're coming to magnify God. They're coming to sacrifice and, and perform what God has asked them to. And, and in the midst of that, notice some things with me. Notice, first of all, that, that when they show up, there's a problem that's provoking Hannah. The problem is stated to us in verse number two. I've already uh, read that part. The Bible said that Penina had children. That was Elkanah's other wife mistake. And, and then um, Hannah, the Bible said, had no children. Now, I think we can see very obviously how that would be a problem. And here this woman is, and she's wanting to have children. And in that day, it was a serious problem. And she would have even been looked down upon and looked at that somehow there was something wrong with her because God was withholding the blessing of, of children in her life. And had no doubt that she felt uh, self-esteem issues because of that. And then she looks at, uh, uh, she looks at Penina, and, and here she is having children, and here she He's being blessed by God, and yet Hannah, year after year, is not having, and, and there's a problem as she comes to church. There's a problem in her life. Now, if we'll be honest tonight, you and I come to worship God, whether it be in the morning in our prayer and devotion time, or whether it be this morning, or whether it be walking into church tonight, we all come and we have problems that present themselves to us. We don't like to talk about them and we don't mention them, but it may be a financial problem. It may be a marital problem. It may be not my wife and I were talking on the way over tonight about a dear pastor friend and some uh, couple that we know that uh, in his church that wants to have children and not able to have children. And it's a, it's, a, it's a worry for that young lady and a bothersome thing to her. And we were discussing that. And I'm just saying to you and I tonight, it may be uh, not being able to have children. It may be not being able to find a wife for a husband. It might be a job issue. It might be you've been kicked out of your home. It may be a number of things tonight. But if we're honest, many times we come to worship God. We come to magnify the Lord. We come to sacrifice, but we've got this major problem. This problem provoked her. The word provoke means to be vexed, to be grieved, to be angry. Now, you're not going to want to admit this, but you ever come to church angry? I'm glad I live in a rural area. If I had to fight this traffic every time I come to church, it would take a miracle of God to be right with God. I'd have to just hit the altar every time I showed up. Come on now, y'all. Now, I said this this morning. I think we have to repeat it. I'm a southern preacher. All right? If y'all say amen... Hallelujah, glory to God. You can wave your hand. I won't get offended. Uh, stick your tongue out at me. Do something, amen. But it'll help me preach. I'll preach faster and we'll get done. And you can go home and get something to eat, amen. But th there's a problem that provoked her. And if we're honest tonight, many times we come to church and we go to our time with God to worship God and magnify God. And these problems are right there in our face. 
She couldn't get away from it. Every time she went to church, Panana was there. Elkanah was there. Her no baby was there. Her children were there. This problem provoked her. And I'm saying tonight, many times we come to church or we come to worship God and we've got a problem. But notice not only do I see her problem provoked her, but I want you to notice how people provoked her. Look in verse number 2. The Bible said Panana had children. If that's not bad enough, look at verse number 6. Her adversary also provoked her sore. Not only has Penina got children, if I can put it this way, Penina's rubbing it in the face of Hannah, I got kids and you don't. I'm pleasing our husband and you're not. Now, the problem with two wives, y'all know what the problem is? It's one too many. Amen? And so they're fighting for his affection. They're fighting for his attention. They're fighting for his love. And she's now, she's feeling very left out because Penina has no problem having kids. But now here she is. And, and listen, Penina is provoking her. She is, she is antagonizing her. You ever go to worship God and you've got a beef with someone or they got a beef with you? You ever go to church and you want to be right with God and you don't want to be upset, you don't want to be angry, you don't want to be vexed, you don't want to be provoked or grieved, but that brother or sister that did you wrong is sitting on the other side of the church? I'm saying tonight that, 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 that there were some people in her life that when she went to worship God, she couldn't get away that those people were, were helping provoke or vex or grieve her. Verse number 7, the Bible said, and as he did year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her. It didn't stop. Not only did Penina provoke her, but I want you to look at verse number 8. Us husbands sometimes can be dumb. Look at verse number 8, typical man. Elkanah, her husband, then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou? Dumb question. Why eatest thou not? Another dumb question. Why is thy heart grieved? Dumb man. Am I not better? Can you just sing, Brother Mitchell? Hannah, what's your problem, woman? You got me. You got the whole package. What are you upset about? Am I not better to you? Come on now, you young guys. We don't need kids. You got me, woman. I'm good enough. Dumb. I don't think that that soothed Hannah's heart. I believe she probably gave the good Baptist wife look of rolling her eyes and biting her tongue. And I'm saying to you and I this evening that, that there were some people in her life that, that was not helping this problem, that was not getting rid of this problem, and she worshiped God. She had to worship and go to worship and go to church with some people in her life that was creating some problems. Not only her problem provoked her and people provoked her, but number three, providence provoked her. Look at verse number five. But unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah. Watch now. But the, would you say it with me? Lord. That's an amazing statement. 
It wasn't Penina's fault that she's not having kids. It wasn't Elkanah's fault. It's not even Hannah's fault. The Bible said the Lord had shut up her womb. Do you think she may have went to God sometimes and said, Lord, what have I done? God, do you not love me? Do you not care? God, do you not hear my prayer? Do you not accept my sacrifice? Do you not see the tears on the altar? Do you not see the burden that I have? God, what am I doing wrong? Now, before we judge Hannah too harshly, how many of us go to God wanting to worship, but that problem is right there, and and we go to God and, God, do you not care? You ever felt like God didn't care? The apostles did. I have. I was wrong. They were wrong, but it don't change the fact that we're human and we're flesh and we felt. And there's times in our life that if we're not careful, we, we will be provoked. We will be angry. We'll be vexed. We'll be grieved. I've gone to God and said, God, how could you let this happen to me? You said you loved me. You said you cared. You said, you say, preacher, you said that to God. He knows my heart anyway. You might as well go ahead and get it all out. God, you said that you would look out for me and you've got my bed. How could you let this happen in my life? You don't think she had some conversations like that with God? Problem provoked her. Providence provoked her. People provoked her. May I say, uh, number four, perception provoked her. Look at verse number 14. Eli, here's the man of God. He looks at her. Here she is weeping. Here she is a godly lady. Here she's just trying to get help from God. She's at church. The man of God, the man that should have discernment, the man that should have wisdom, the man that should be walking with God, the man that should be loving her, looks at her and says, how long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. Boy, I'm sure that helped. You know, sometimes when we're going through issues in our life and we have problems, Sometimes one of the things that affects us worshiping God is wondering what everyone else is thinking. Maybe you've never had that problem. I have many times. I remember when I stepped down from pastoring in 2020. I can't tell you the people, the, the preachers that called Brother J.D., called Brother R.B. Willette, called me and said, Why'd you step down? You had a great church, great ministry. Why would you leave? God said to, but, but why would you do it? What's really going on? Did you mess up? No, I didn't. But you know, there's a part of me that everywhere I went and I was around other preachers, I almost had to tell them, just so you know, I didn't step down because I messed up. Perception. Though we say we don't, we care what others think. And many times when we're going to worship God and we're going to magnify God in a corporate setting like church, sometimes we're more concerned with what people are thinking. Well, they must think I'm under judgment. They must think I'm not living for God. They must think I'm, I've got financial issues. They must think I don't tithe or I don't give. And she's provoked. Now, can I flip that a second and say, listen to me, church. When someone's going through problems, quit trying to figure out why. 
Nowhere in the Bible do I find God telling us to go to someone and figure out why they're facing what they face. He commands me to love them. He commands me to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. He commands me to show compassion and show mercy. And instead of trying to figure out, well, I know why they're facing that. They did this or they did that or they're not doing this. Why don't we just follow Christ's example and love them to where at least we can take one part of their problem in worshiping God away, what people may think. I see the problem provoked her, providence provoked her, people provoked her, perception provoked her. Notice number four, pro procrastination, or five, whatever I'm on, procrastination provoked her. Look at verse number seven. And as he did so, speaking of the Lord, verse six, the Lord shut up her womb. And as he did so, watch this next phrase, year by year. Who's the he? The Lord. In other words, she's coming to God in prayer and sacrifice. She's doing right. She's living right. She's being everything she's supposed to be. And year after year, God's not answering. How do you handle it when God doesn't answer right away in your problem? How do you deal with it? Year by year, it's not getting better. The antagonism's not going away. The provoking is not leaving. Her husband's not got any smarter. No baby is coming about. The man of God's thinking ill of her. All of this is piling on her and to beat it all. Year by year, she's trusting God and nothing's happening. You ever been there? If you're honest, you have. If you haven't, hang on, you will be. So let me give you my last point and I'm done. What's the prescription? What do we do when we want to worship God, we want to sacrifice, we want to magnify God? What's the prescription? How, how do we handle it when we're being provoked by something in our life that, that though we're doing everything we can, it's not going away and it's right there? What do we do? Well, let me show you a couple things and I'm done. Looking in verse number 7, notice first of all, I'll tell you the prescription. I'll tell you how you handle when you're provoked in worship, when you're battling to worship God. First of all, notice her persistence in verse number 7. I showed you the negative side of it year by year year God wasn't answering year after year she was still being provoked but notice year by year when she went up to the house of the Lord you know what she said she said God may not have answered last year but maybe he will this year and when God didn't answer the next year she said maybe he will the next year she didn't quit she didn't give up she didn't throw in the towel she didn't abandon her belief she didn't throw away her faith in God she realized that the only help the only way it was ever going to get fixed was just to keep going to God. Dear child of God, listen to me. The devil will do if he does nothing else when you've got a problem in your life, a trouble in your life, and you're trying to worship God. He'll try to get you just to quit, just to throw in the towel. How many of us have seen people because of a problem quit church, quit reading their Bible, quit praying, quit serving, quit teaching, quit leading, well, whatever the case may be, because because a problem come in and they could not handle it when it didn't get solved like they thought. This woman, this woman determined he may be doing it and he may not be hearing, but I'm going to keep going to him. Can I tell you, 
hallelujah to God, when you go to pray in the morning, I'd like to tell you every time I pray, heaven's choir sings, it sounds like them kids did, and I get goosebumps, and I feel joyous, and I feel like jumping up and down, but I'm here to tell you in reality, it ain't always that way. Sometimes I pray, and I feel like my words are bouncing against the ceiling and coming right down, and I'm not doing nothing. I'd like to tell you every time I read my Bible that God just opens up, and I get thought after thought, and he feeds my soul every day, and it's just glorious. No, sometimes it's black ink on white paper. You say, what do you do? I just keep praying, and I just keep reading. I'd like to tell you every time I go to church that, that God shows up, and I just feel like I've really had a great day, but sometimes it ain't that way. You say, what do you do? I just keep going to church, because here's what I know. Eventually, if I won't quit, and if I'll just keep doing what God's told me to do, somewhere in there, God's going to show up. Somewhere in there, God's going to answer. Somewhere in there, God's presence is going to manifest itself. This woman went year after year after year. I don't know how many years, but thank God she didn't quit. And so, Brother uh, Mitchell, we now come to the time. What if she hadn't have showed up this time? What if she had said, I'm done? What if she had said, you and Panada can have it? But she went one more time. Can I just tell you? The next time you pray may be the one. I know soul winners that they, you know, I'd like to tell you everyone I witness to gets saved, and I'm in a soul winning ministry. Don't happen. I witness to many people and they don't get saved. But what if I quit? That's what many Christians have done. Well, it don't work. No, it works. See, I'm not responsible to make them believe. I'm just responsible to obey God and give them the gospel and tell them the truth and give them an opportunity, and I'm just going to keep doing it. They're not all going to get saved, but the next one may, and the next one may not, and ten more may not, but then the next one might, and on and on I could go. I'm saying to you and I this evening that when you are provoked in your worship, just make up your mind. I'm going to keep going to God. I'm going to keep worshiping. I'm going to keep doing, by the way. Do you know what worship means? We think worship is emotion. There's a homiletic principle, hermeneutic principle, not homiletic, hermeneutics, and one of the first principles they teach you is the law of first mention in your Bible. The word worship, the first time it's found is in Genesis chapter number 22. You may not know the chapter, but you know the story. God tells Abraham to take his son Isaac to go up on the mountain offering. And Abraham gets to the bottom of the mountain after a three-day journey, and he looks at his servants, and I'm paraphrasing, he says, you stay here, me and the boy are going to go yonder on that mountain, and we're going to worship. Wow, think about that. What is he fixing to do? Do you think Abraham's bouncing and skipping and laughing about having to take a knife to his son? According to Hebrews, Abraham knew God would raise him from the dead. He didn't have any doubt about that. But it still couldn't be a joyful thing knowing that you're fixing to take a knife and kill your own son. I believe Abraham was a little heavy-hearted. I believe Abraham was a little bit, man, what's Isaac going to think of me? But he said, me and the boy are going to wait. You know what he's saying? I'm just going to do what God told me to do, whether I understand it, whether I feel it, whether I see it, whether I can explain it. I guarantee he didn't tell Sarah what he was doing on that journey. It had been a whole different story in Genesis chapter 22. It had been Abraham tied up. Amen. 
But I'm saying, listen to me tonight. I'm saying that worship is not sometimes what we think it is. It is simply obeying and doing what God said do, even when we don't understand. Persistence. She did not give up. Did it pay off? Notice not only, what's the prescription? Not only persistence, but number two. Look at verse number 10. This is not deep, it's simple, but it'll help us. She was in bitterness of soul. We've already read in verse 6, she's provoked. Verse 7, she's provoked. Verse 10, she's in bitterness. Verse 10, she's weeping sore. But notice in verse 10, she was bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord. Verse number 15, answer, Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before. The, you know what she's saying? She's saying, I don't know the answer. I don't know why this has gone on, but I know what I'm going to keep doing. I'm just going to keep praying. You want to know how you get past your problem and how you are able to worship God. It's make up your mind. I'm not quitting. I'm going to be persistent, but I'm going to pray. Now, I know we believe that, but we don't practice it. Because we'll have a problem. We'll call everybody and tell everyone except the Lord. And then as a last-ditch effort, we'll pray and say, God, you know, he cares about every detail of your life. <laughs> the Bible said, I know this won't mean a lot to some of you fellows out there, that he knows the, he counts the hairs on our head. Sorry, brother. You got more there than you realize. Have you ever sat and counted the hairs on your head? I, I, I've never got that bored. And if I tried, by the time I got done, I have to start over because they say I forget how many fall out every minute and every day. That's encouraging, ain't it? God said that he knows the stature of your height. Well, I know I'm 6'4", 6 6 5, 5, 7, whatever. How many centimeters? How many millimeters? God cares about details of our life we've never even looked into. You don't understand tonight that he cares and when you have a problem and you're vexed, he wants to hear from you. It may seem stupid to everybody else. Quick story, we just recently, just in the last week for Christmas, we were blessed with, I think it's blessed, with two brother golden doodle puppies. They're miniature golden doodles. Grandparents and kids and everyone pulled money together for Christmas and that was Christmas present for the kids was two golden doodle puppies. What a blessing. They're about six months old now and for right of a reason dogs think socks and other undergarments are just to inhale. And though we tell the little kids keep things up, try to keep them out of the rooms and all the other uh, we, one of our dogs decided just to go on a binge of articles of clothing to the place that my son got up one morning, they, we crate him at night, and he got up to let him out, and one of the dogs had threw up eight socks. Eight. He wouldn't eat. I wouldn't either after eight socks. I know the feet those socks came from. I told him, don't ever lick me again. And 
He wouldn't eat for a day and a half, wouldn't drink. I called some vets and tried to find out what was going on, what we could do, and all of them said more than likely he's got a blockage, you're going to have to bring him in. What's that going to cost? About $1,800? Sorry, dog. I don't have $100 to go to a, to a doctor, much less a vet. We gathered the kids around. I said, kids, we got to pray for the dog. If I'd have had oil, brother, I'd have anointed him. But I couldn't find scripture for that, so we just prayed over him. Next morning, he wasn't good at all. I had to run a few errands. I come back home, and he was sitting, laying in the living I mean, he was, looked like he's fixing to die. His eyes were clouded. He could tell he was probably poisoned over. And my wife and kids are sitting, some of the kids are sitting in the living My wife is teary-eyed, and she screams and yells at him and don't like him, but she loves him. And we all do that. You know, you dumb dog, and then, oh, God, you're going to die. And, and, and here he is laying here. And we prayed. I said, I get, got the kids outside, got everybody together, said, look, he's fixing to die if we don't pray. And we prayed. And you know, it was an amazing thing. God wasn't long, that dog. He wouldn't drink nothing. He wouldn't even take water out of your hand or nothing. I walked in. We had prayed before I left. And when I got back, I, he come over to my hand and he started licking my hand. I got a little water and I got him to lick a little water off my hand. And then before long... I'll just to be very kind in the pulpit, the problem was solved. I looked at my kids and I said, kids, y'all need to understand something. That was God. You mean God cares about what kids, a uh, kid's puppy? You better believe he cares. If he cares about the hairs, he cares about their hearts and their, are you hearing what I'm saying tonight? And I'm saying many times we have problems and we do everything else but pray. You want to handle your problem in worship? Be persistent. Pray. Even if you don't feel like praying, pray anyway. Even if you're weeping sore, you realize God don't need you to say words. He knows what's in your heart. Notice thirdly, look at Hannah now, verse 3. And this man went up out of a city, not just him, but his two wives to worship. And to say, If I could put it this way, they were praising they were praising, they were giving God his due, his glory. You know what I found one of the hardest things to do is when you're provoked in worship is to praise God. When, when you're so heavy, you don't feel like doing anything and raising your hand anyway, singing to him anyway, opening your Bible anyway. Can I tell you, it may not change your problem, but if you will learn to praise in the midst of your provoking, in the midst of your worship, it'll change you. I don't want to take too much time. Praise. But then I want you to notice that I'm done. Notice the prescription. There was a pledge. In verse number 11, she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. In other words, here's what Hannah did. And I believe God honored this. I believe all of this combined. And by the way, I believe this is progressive. Until you determine I'm not going to quit, you're really not going to pray. And if you don't determine to pray, you're not going to praise. 
And if you don't determine to not quit and you don't pray and you're not praising, you're not going to make this pledge. But Hannah basically, here's what she said, God, if you will, I will. She, she said, God, you've got my heart. You've got my submission. I've made this all about me. But she said, God, if you will take my problem and get glory out of it, I'll give you all the glory by giving it right back to you. God, I want you to fix my problem by you getting the glory. Can I say God did exactly that? Samuel's one of the most unique men. Uh, these Bible scholars on this platform are telling you, he's one of the most unique characters in all Scripture to study. Just amazing what uh, the, uh, the, the, the character study of Samuel and all that God did and all the offices that he held. And I'm simply saying that God did not just answer her prayer. God answered it mightily. Because she said to God, God, here's my problem. If you will, if you will fix it, if I could put it that way, I'll give you all the glory in it. Do you want your problem took care of for you or for God? Do you want your problem fixed to make life easier on you or to do something for God? When she got past wanting the baby just to shove it back in Penina's face and wanting the baby to show her husband that he wasn't all that and wanting the baby to give her a sense of satisfaction, when she got to the place, she said, God, all I want to do in this problem is magnify you. When she said that, God said, done. You know the story. God not only gives her Samuel, but God visited Hannah according to chapter 2 and verse 21, and she bare three more sons and two more daughters, five more children, five being the number of grace. God was very gracious to her. All because she determined, though I've got a problem, though I'm being provoked in my worship, I ain't quitting. I'm going to be persistent. I'm going to pray. I'm going to praise, and I'm going to pledge that, God, I want this fixed for your glory and not my betterment.